Hi everyone, it is Zoe Blasky here and welcome to this episode of Motherkind, the show that's going to help you navigate the massive challenges of life as a modern mother with more community, confidence, clarity and self-awareness. Thank you for being here. I'm so grateful you've pressed that little play button and you're here with me right now. Do me a favor. If you love this show, if you enjoy this episode, hit subscribe. That means that you're never going to miss when we launch a new episode. It also means that platforms like Apple and Spotify see how loved the show is and they will share it and show it to more and more potential listeners. And we want these messages out in the world. So thank you for doing that. Recently, I had an amazing conversation with Lauren Curry on her podcast, Upfront. I was the guest for once and I got so many messages about it. I wanted you to all hear it too. You are going to learn what I think confidence really is and how motherhood can be the exact catalyst that we need to stand more and more in our own power. I also share what I think the forces are that we have to overcome that try and stop us standing in that power. I love thinking about confidence. I think if we have confidence as mothers, so much else in our lives becomes easier. Our parenting becomes easier. Our work life becomes easier. How we feel about ourselves and how we move through our days and our lives becomes easier when we really believe in ourselves and we can have true confidence. Lauren Curry, who interviews me in this episode, she is the founder of Upfront and she is on a mission to support a million women and non-binary people with confidence. Upfront also runs these incredible six-week confidence courses. The next one starts on the 5th of June, 23, and it is free to women on maternity leave or no income households. So if you are on maternity leave or you have no income coming into your household, it is free for you to do this incredible six-week confidence course. They're also offering a 10% discount on the course for our Motherkind listeners by using Motherkind Bond 7. And you can just search upfront bond and the website will come up and you pop in that code Motherkind Bond 7 for 10% off. It's a brilliant course. I haven't done it myself, but I've seen a lot of the content and it is incredible. Anyway, I'm going on. Here is the episode. I hope you love it. So I guess let's start at the start. Like, what's your story, Zoe? Who are you? What do you care about? What's the mission that you're on? So I am the founder of Motherkind. So I really care about women and in particular mothers. And of course that was unlocked when I became a mother myself. And the things that I think about all day, every day are how the world views motherhood and mothering and mothers. And the other side of that is how us as mothers, appreciating not everyone listening will be a mother, but how we feel about ourselves as mothers. Because I also see Whilst in the external world, you know, we're viewed as that it's not an important role, it's not a valued role, it's an unpaid role. I also see that mirrored in how mothers feel about ourselves, you know, lack of confidence, worth, lack of belief, feeling guilty a lot, keeping ourselves small. So my absolute thing that I think about all day, every day, sometimes all night, is Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) how do I change how mothers are viewed and how we view ourselves. And I do that in loads of different ways. The main way is through my podcast called the Motherkind Podcast. But I also run, like you, 
loads of coaching groups, loads of corporate interventions, loads of workshops, loads of press stuff to try and talk about that change that I want to see as much as I can around the constraints, of course, of my own family life. So I I want to be really present for my business and also really present for my girls. So I don't work full time on it, which is amazing because I feel like my own case study, like how can you be an activist and how can you create change and how can you create amazing sustainable businesses that have huge impact whilst not burning out, while not feeling pulled in a million directions. So it's amazing because I I get to test lots of things and then the things that work for me in my own life, I bring to my community Mm -hmm. as well. And what is really working about that for you just now? I'd love to know something that feels like you've got it in a place that feels really aligned and connected and then also something that still feels really hard and difficult that you just can't crack. There's two things I have absolutely cracked. One is boundaries, Mm -hmm. particularly around work time and non-work time with my phone. Every day I pick the kids up from school and I am not working. And I say to myself, I am not working. So I don't answer work calls. I don't answer work emails. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm really present with them because it didn't used to be that way. And I would pick them up whilst, Mm. you know, on an email. And I was like, what is the point of this? I might as well just work and have someone else pick them up because I'm not doing a great job on the email because my little one wants a snack or whatever, and I'm not doing a great job with them. So I'm super boundaried. And then my team know at sort of 7.30, I'm back online. And I communicate that with clients and partners, even brand partners. Like I am unavailable between these hours. If it's urgent, like speak to one of the team. And if the house is really on fire, like call. I've got that really, really right. I've also got... And it's been a dance for a number of years. I've really got right the line between high standards for myself and for my business and letting go of control. I've always had people work with me. I've always understood that the way to have greater impact is to bring more people in to help you do that. So I've always sacrificed profit in the business for bringing in help and support. But for a long time, I was like, this is ridiculous because I am checking everything, telling everyone what to do. Like I'm just making more work for myself. So I feel like I've really got that right in terms of setting a standard and expectation and then letting people run with their jobs and not checking, double checking. How did you do that? How did you? I think just being okay with things not being perfect and remembering that You know, if my intention is to help people in my business grow and step into their own lessons, just like I had the privilege of doing, you know, when I was in corporate, I have to let them make mistakes. I think it's really hard when it's my face on the, you know, team type thing. And that brought another layer into it. But I feel like getting the right people in, they know what's super important to me. And stuff goes out that I'm like, I wouldn't have done it that way but that's okay. Whereas in before I wouldn't, that wouldn't have been okay for me. I think it's coming back to, I'm super clear on my values for the business. And if something crosses one of those, like if I felt like one of the team were rude to Mm. someone in our community, or perhaps weren't recognizing, you know, something that was really important to that someone, or I felt there was language that wasn't right. I would jump on that. Don't get me wrong, but that's not stuff that I'm talking about. I'm talking about things where I would have remembered to ask that question or attach that file or I wouldn't have posted that post like that. Stuff that is like with it's not crossing a really important value boundary and being able to let that go. The second part of your question is what haven't I got right? I think 
I still frustrate myself because my ambition sometimes is way bigger than actually my risk appetite. So I'm in my head. I want to create this massive, massive beast of a, you know, impactful business, a social business. But actually, when I think about my real risk appetite and where I am in my life, the season of my life is that I'm probably 10 years off that because the season that I'm in is that I'm learning a lot and I've run this amazing thing, but that I'm also really present with my family. So sometimes I haven't got that right, like that acceptance <laughs> of that frustration, particularly when I see other big things happening. And I'm like, we should have been doing that. What? And it's like, no, no, no. Like that person is in a different season or they're choosing to raise their family in a different way. You know, they're going all in on work. So that's something that I'm continually battling with a bit. But I think there's a lot of power in just recognizing that and having that conversation with yourself and especially your team I imagine and that you can pull on that in those moments where you feel the envy or the look at them over there and why are we not there yet and we could have done that and I think it's really helpful to have clarity on the why like why are we at the stage we're at and like to connect that back to choices and values it makes it less painful, I think. Yeah, it does. It does make it less painful. Yeah, because I think, you know, when I see people launch things or, you know, new TV shows, I'm like, I wanted to be a part of that. I know what goes into that. And the truth of it is, had the opportunity crossed my desk, I probably would have said no, because I know that it would have taken me away from one of my core values, which is that at this season, you know, my kids are little, I want to be doing most of the school pickups and most of the school drop-offs. It's just that tension. And I, I think you're dead right. I think it's about making peace with the tension, not expecting the tension not to be there. 100%. Because I think it's always going to be there. Just accept, learning how to live with it. Learning how to live with that tension, that there's more that I want to do in the world. But at the moment I'm choosing, you know, I choose to be present with my family. And that language really matters, right? That it's an intentional choice. And I noticed you talked about you know, your face being on the tin, if you like, which I feel like that's a whole other, we could both probably write a book about that because I think it's, it's such a thing. It's a privilege, it's an opportunity, it's a burden, it's a weight, it's hard. But I'm curious to hear a bit from you about your own confidence and kind of where, what feels kind of present in life for you just now around your relationship with your visibility, with your platform, with your confidence, your power how you put yourself and your ideas into the world. I mean, it's so interesting because I think you and I talked about this on our episode together on Mother Kind, but my idea of confidence used to be very male and very externally focused. So how do I look to others? How do I appear? And I always thought it was very confident because I was like, I am able to easily stand up and present. I remember doing that when I was like, 21 to like 2000 people. Now I know that that version of confidence actually was arrogance masking insecurity. That's what it was for me. And confidence now for me is like very different than that. It's an internal. So I've gone from believing that my confidence was all about the external to believing that it's all about the internal. And it's really that now I define my confidence as I feel super secure with who I am. And that is such a nice place to be. It's been a lot of work, I'm not going to lie. It's like an inner solidity. I feel solid on the inside. So I now feel really confident to be like, I'm not going to do that or I'm going to not speak 
in this big meeting because I feel like everyone's just throwing their idea in and it's willy-waving and I'm not up for it. Like I'll stay very, very quiet sometimes. That is like true confidence to me, but it's taken a lot of unpacking to get there to that sense of worth. Yeah, and I think it links back to what we were saying, you know, about letting some things go. Like it's so tied in with that perfectionism for me that I now have that sense of worth and esteem that it's okay not to know it's okay to make mistakes all of that is okay and I can still feel really confident in myself so it's massively massively changed for me my idea of what it is it's so amazing when I think about my sort of young 20 self you know people would have thought I was extremely confident I was extremely insecure masking it with arrogance and calling it confidence and this is why it's so fascinating to me, I think it's such a fascinating concept and idea and part of us that for so many of us for so long, we just completely misunderstood. You know, I think everybody's got a version of the story you just told where it's like I used to think it was this and now I've realised it's this other thing. And, you know, that's part of why I'm here and why I'm on this mission is to get as many people as possible to go through that transition and realise that actually we're all being tricked by the patriarchy, by white supremacy, by all these oppressive forces to think that confidence is this very fixed, narrow, extroverted, masculine, white way of being in the world, which of course we both know that it's not. And I wonder, is there an area of growth still for you in there, like something that you are stretching yourself with? What I've noticed is... As my visibility is increasing, the the adult part of me is super cool with that. I feel very ready for that and I want it. But there's still that young part of me, I would call it, you know, in a child. I do a lot of tending to that young part of me because I have studied that what happens to us in our younger years continues to impact our thoughts and our beliefs and our behaviours about ourselves. So as I get these bigger opportunities, you know, in TV and things like that keep coming around, the young part of me freaks out. <laughs> My innate self, like who I am as a person is quite loud and I always have been, but that got squashed mm. when I was in my, you know, sort of four to 10, really squashed. And then I got quite badly bullied in secondary school. So that young part of me is like, why on earth would you put your head above the parapet? Mm. Why on earth would you expose yourself? Because the young part of us is always just wanting safety. And the equation just got a bit mixed up because of those experiences that in order to get safety, the way to do that is to be small. And that's what I did through school. I shrunk and I wasn't there really anymore. I was surviving. And so that's really interesting to watch. It's fascinating because I've done quite a lot of work with loads of different professionals and loads of things that I've done. It's now got to the point where I can just observe it. And it's not about saying to that young part of myself, I'll do one, you know, (laughs) we're on this mission now. It's more like, I get that you feel really afraid. As a part of you, it feels really afraid. That makes sense given what happened and what that person said. And, you know, when you did that thing, that got shut down and you know, that makes total sense, but the adult part of us is going to take over now and you are safe and you are loved. I really like just sort of watching that dynamic within myself. It's like telling her that she can come along. Exactly, because I think, you know, a lot of women that I work with 
would listen to that and it's not safe and it might not be a conscious it's not always conscious it's like sometimes it can be a sabotaging like declining something or a gut instinct yeah exactly well that's quite complex isn't that idea because when is it trauma and when is it gut instinct think about that a lot as well but yeah it can look like sabotaging yourself to stay small and safe or it can look like as overt as mine is where it's literally like oh I'm freaking out so it's really freeing to know that the adult you can step in and sometimes I joke I mean it sounds a bit woo but sometimes I say I've got three kids I've got my two girls and then I've got my inner child because it genuinely (laughs) feels like that sometimes I'm having to like you know parent all of us because she was quite damaged growing up so yeah that's still something that's very alive and well for me have you read um Viola Davis's new memoir I haven't yet that's a strong theme in that book is her relationship with her younger self that's Mm. still part of her like incredibly Mm. incredibly moving Mm. and powerful so I think you'd like it we're connected by this idea of confidence because I know that it comes up in a lot of the work that you do with mothers individually and a lot of the incredible guests that come on the mother kind you know whether that's mental health experts relationship experts parenting experts this idea of confidence always crops up and I'm curious to hear from you why do you think it is that mothering has such a colossal often negative impact on our confidence like we know that fewer than one in five women feel confident to go back to work after maternity leave we know that almost half of mothers right now are feeling forced to return from maternity leave early due to the cost of living crisis there's so many statistics that could paint really a very very bleak picture and I'd love to just hear your perspective on that. It's something that I think about all the time as well and something that I wish was different which is you know part of what drives me of course so I think like anything this is so multi-layered you can't answer a question like this without bringing generalizations so I apologize in advance for my generalizations which of course will be there but what I see in general is that this word that I learned about as part of my research and my work into motherhood is this word matrescence. And what that word means, if you haven't heard of it, is it's just like adolescence, where we know there's a time in a young person's life where they go from one place childhood into adulthood and we expect that to be a really rocky time we know that their brain changes we expect their mood to change we know that their identity gets thrown up in the air and they often feel that lack of confidence and society generally like supports and accepts that matrescence is exactly the same for motherhood so it's an anthropological term that means the becoming of a mother and it's just the same in that our brain actually changes when we become a mother our hormones clearly change and affect our moods you know we're only just really starting to understand that there's new research come out which is fascinating about how much that actually impacts us as mothers and on every level nothing feels the same anymore that's this journey of matrescence and I think you know I was chatting before about confidence is like that inner solidity like for me it means that inner worth and sense of who I am I mean my experience was that that just got lobbed up in the air when I became a mother it's almost like you know those shifting tectonic plates that's how it feels like your relationship's not the same your relationship to your body's not the same your time autonomy is never going to be the same again it's not your time anymore 
as this being who takes all your time. Your brain has changed. How you feel about your friendships has changed. And we don't talk about it. And employers don't recognise it. Like, oh, come for a kit day. You'll be fine. It's unbelievable. This is what I mean about when we talk about how the world sees mothers. Like, I have no idea what actually goes on on an emotional, physical, hormonal, even spiritual level when you go through that massive transition into motherhood. So I think that's one reason. I mean, it's to be expected that you don't feel confident anymore. Because if you'd found it in your previous self, you now have to find it again with, by the way, no time to do that. Very little no, sleep. So it means your brain sleep. is not in a good place. Yeah, It's mushed. You know, I think as well, what can really impact that feeling of lack of confidence is perhaps before you were a mother, you might have seen mothers coming in, showing off the baby, and you might have seen eye rolls from your male managers. Or you might have seen, you know, someone on your team leaving at five and you might have seen them walk out the door to go and do nursery pickup. And you might have seen colleagues bitching, complaining, moaning, laughing, belittling. You might have seen all those sort of, I wouldn't even call them micro behaviours, just overt displays. Yeah, discrimination. Yeah, just discrimination of mothers in the workforce. And I think then when we then go through that, you know, this was my experience. Like I was very naive to how it actually felt to be a mother in the workforce, I feel like I was a terrible manager when mm. I was young and I was given a team to manage. I had mothers in that team. I had no idea of what their experience was. So I feel like then when you're thinking about going back into the workplace, all those, you know, your body remembers those. You remember those somatically. You also remember those consciously. And I think that can have a huge impact because you're thinking, okay, I know that that's the environment I'm going into. Probably you might be lucky. You might not have that environment in your work, but most likely you're going into that sort of environment. I also feel shattered into a million different pieces. I feel like I don't know who I am anymore. I'm exhausted. And I now have to go and see if I can prove myself in this role, but with new boundaries that I've never had to enforce before, such as leaving at a certain time, such as not being able to work late because some clients said that they need something urgently. I feel like that, you know, pre-motherhood, so many clients that I speak to would do behaviours that would enable them to operate in a really toxic system, mm. you know, often if it's corporate. And motherhood takes that away from you because if you said you're leaving at five, you have to. You can't be working all hours because you want to please your boss because you've got to get the kids to bed and you, you're exhausted. And so I think that is another massive reason why it's such a wobbly time because you're like, I feel different. I know this environment isn't going to feel that friendly to me, even though they might say they are energetically it might not feel it and I've now got to enforce all these new ways of working for myself whilst I'm completely depleted it's almost like impossible to feel confident under those circumstances like there are definitely things that you can do but I think the other thing I don't know if you've seen this is that when women become mothers one of the things that happens in our brain is that the centre of our brain responsible for empathy and compassion gets bigger. That's what enables us to really unlock the caring, nurturing side of us. So I think of that as like we go from thinking about me to we, and I think social issues tend to impact us more than they had before. You know, mothers will say to me, I never used to cry at, you know, the news or ads, and I can't stop thinking about these images. Or the... That's all because of that part of the brain has changed. Often I feel like mothers then go with this 
change in how they view the world and then they go back into a job and often they're like this just doesn't sit with me anymore yeah I think it's also for many women becoming a mother is that first real moment in their life where they genuinely experience oppression and discrimination and I think that of course predominantly white women it can be this wake-up moment of holy shit wait a minute I mean, I remember so vividly, buses just kept driving past me and I was standing yeah. on the side of the road with tears running down my face, this tiny baby. I called my partner, I couldn't even talk to say, the bus keeps driving past me. I didn't know that there was a rule of only four buggies were allowed on the bus. Yeah. How would I know that? Nobody's ever told me that. That's a fairly safe, harm-free example. You know, we both know that those moments can be really harmful and dangerous and impactful in a negative way. This ad is organised and funded by Sanofi's Together Against RSV campaign. You might be thinking, what is RSV, Zoe? And I've just been learning all about it. So let me tell you. Respiratory syncytial virus, easy for me to say, or RSV as it's more commonly known, is a really common virus that causes infection in the lower part of the respiratory system in babies and children. In fact, 90% of all children, by the time they reach two, will unfortunately experience a respiratory virus. But the good news is that most RSV illnesses are mild and clear upon their own. But unfortunately, some cases can be more serious. Bronchitis and pneumonia are types of these infections that you might have heard of that are often caused by RSV. In fact, when Jessie was little, about eight months, she had quite severe bronchitis. And I do wish I'd known more about it and how to manage it before it happened. So if you want to get yourself clued up on RSV, what it is, what can be done to prevent it and how to spot the signs and symptoms so that you can be better prepared with your children, then you can visit Sanofi's Together Against RSV website for further information www.togetheragainstrsv.com and there you'll find loads of helpful advice about infant RSV. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively and therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind. Back to the episode. The other thing, like you mentioned, being totally naive when you led a team and you had mothers as part of your team and how part of what made it difficult for you was just this feeling like the ground had been taken from underneath your feet. Like, I do not think it's an accident that women are so completely in the dark around the realities of pregnancy and birth and the first year of mothering. 
Like I think that is a, a very intentional institutional decision because the way I, I always think about it, if men had babies, a lot of what we've just talked about would not be new information and would not be a surprise because there would be decades of study, there would be clinical trials, there would be solutions, there would be investment, there would be whole infrastructures to cater for these new changes. And I think that's the part that kind of pains me the most and keeps me up at night. And obviously moving here, and now I've lived in Sweden for two years, and of course I don't work for a Swedish company. I mean, both my partner work for my company, but I'm around people and live in a culture where, for example, they have what they call VAB days, which means if your kid is sick, you just send a message saying, I'm having a VAB day, and you still get paid for that day. And it doesn't matter what's happening at work that day, you know, any other context, it's like, oh, Zoe's on VAB today. Nobody would ever bat an eyelid. You know, as you say, it's like, those micro moments that you absorb as you grow up, teaching you this is what this society will accept and what it will not accept. You know, I think Sweden definitely does not get all things right and is not a perfect country, but I think it does a lot of that stuff better. Yeah, and that's it's so challenging, isn't it, thinking about, you know, and you talk about this amazingly, that it's not about putting the burden to feel more confident returning to work onto us as the mothers I think a massive part of this is understanding that landscape and as you say it's atrocious that we do not understand that landscape and employers don't they just don't I mean I'm always pitching workshop you know it's not a receptive yeah I was going to say they are not biting your hand off no No. often that's not all companies that's not definitely not all it's two things isn't it it's about what we can do as individuals to empower ourselves within a really broken system but remembering that it's not our fault it's hard <laughs> but it's holding those two truths yeah. is how I think and talk about yeah. it and what the consequence of what we're describing is we can have checked in before we started our conversation today is that we both lead communities that are full of women who are mothering, caring, and are just completely depleted, feeling they don't have any more to give. You know, they're struggling. And, you know, now we have the cost of living crisis. We have the childcare cost crisis. You know, obviously this is specific to the UK, but there's themes of this happening across Europe. And I wonder what your message would be for those women. I know... Mother kind is a source of knowledge and hope and inspiration for so many of them. So I wonder what your message would be to those who are feeling like, you know what, I just I just need to get my head down and survive. The thing that I see mothers doing time and time and time again is blame themselves. So that's the first mm-hmm. thing I would say. Do not, do not be thinking that you are doing it wrong. Or if only I could just dot, 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 then it would really try and resist that urge within yourself to take on board, you know, broken systems and own them as some personal failing. Really try and establish that boundary between what is yours and what is not yours. 99% not yours. You know, yes, there's some tweaking that we could do in the 1%. 
around how you're managing your own personal boundaries and your own personal energy and what you're doing around keeping yourself sort of spiritually, mentally as fit as you can within these constraints. That's the 1% that I'm talking about. And I think so often we get it that wrong way around. So that's the first thing I would say is hold that boundary for yourself. It's really, really, really important because the moment we start blaming ourselves, it's harder to access the internal resources that we need anyway. So it's a lose-lose. The other thing I'd say is you talked about survival. And I think there's such a place for knowing what mode we are in, whether we're in survival or whether we're in thriving, we're trying to raise the baseline. And I think that picture that you described, and many women in my community are in survival. And my response to that is, okay, be in survival. Because sometimes that's what we have to do. Sometimes we have to put on the life jacket, know that it's going to cost us down the line, and we just have to survive. If we can accept that, not accept what's going on around us, but accept that that is the mode that we are in and we are in survival mode, I think it can unlock compassion. And I think that's when you start to think about, okay, I'm not going to listen to that inspirational podcast about how to earn a million pounds in six months, because actually I'm in survival mode. I'm not going to beat myself up for not getting to that yoga class that I know actually makes me feel great because I am in survival mode. My basic needs right now are sleep, water, as most nutritious food as I can get my hands on and the same for my kids. That's it. That's where I'm going to put my time, energy, effort and focus. I'm not going to read that book about even, you know, increasing my confidence. Not where I'm at at right now. Where I'm at right now is in survival. What are the resources that could help me while I'm in this place? Don't hear many coaches talking about that. They're always like, raise the baseline. How can you improve? I think one of the ways to actually move quicker out of that place is to accept that you're in it and to just know that it is hard and it is shit and I'm sorry you're there and I'm you're sorry you're there but if that's where you're at then that's where you're at because so often we can be in that place but also be beating ourselves up that we're not in another place yeah I think your point about self-compassion is the key for me it's like the narrative that you tell yourself around where you're at and what phase you're in or what season you're in or what mode you're in the story you tell yourself is so vital and I think framing it as this is where I am right now and it's not forever you know immediately makes space for patience kindness and I think also it makes me think about community I talk a lot about the role that community plays in confidence and I think part of what is compounding the problem that we are describing is isolation and loneliness and disconnection from friends and family. You know, that's also something that comes with being, especially if you're a new mum or you're becoming a mum for the first time, it can have a huge impact on your friendships. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, psychologists would say part of that survival, one of our core needs for survival is connection, community. They don't see that as like a nice to have because it's not. It's a core need connection community just the same as you know shelter and food and water yeah so I would say you know whether it's the mother kind community the bond community or 
you know, your next door neighbour or the school mums or your best friend that you keep forgetting to text back. Connect with people. Be the one to make the first move. You know, I think sometimes we overthink. When you're in that place, you can also get quite negative, right? It's easy to think the worst. And I think most of the time, if not all of the time, people want to hear from you and you are loved and you do matter. You know, even though sometimes it doesn't feel that way. It's hard, isn't it? Because when you're in that place, the energy that it takes to, you know, send a message or reach out might feel like more than you've got. But I think that is one example where... It will refill your cup. It will fill up. It will refill more than it takes you to, to give it out. So it's worth sort of getting over that resistance and... Yeah, particularly around mental health, we know the interplay with isolation and mental health and how they're they're so closely linked. So it's, you know, it's just in a tiny way, just if you can shift forward, like you say, and connect, you know, even virtually. How do you see the world changing? So when Motherkind play the pivotal role in changing how society sees mothers and upfront support a million women to reframe and re-understand their confidence, how would the world be different from your point of view? I think workplaces would change. Just as you were describing, you know, imagine if this was tended for, cared for, this transition, you know, that workplaces were actually designed to work around mothers and working families as opposed to just, you know, lip service. And Mm. I think marriages would change. I'm still thinking about the stat of how long men spend on the toilet. Did you see that one? Yes. I mean, it's just totally unsurprising, isn't it, unfortunately? Oh, exactly. Yeah, I think marriages would change. I feel like the domestic division of work at home would change very quickly if more women and mothers knew their worth, knew how to advocate for their needs, knew how to hold boundaries and knew their worth and had the confidence to know that, you know, if a setup isn't working for them, they can change it. I definitely think we'd see that change. I think we'd see the next generation change. You know, we know that children don't really listen to what we tell them. (laughs) They listen to... They don't? (laughs) It's no bombshell, is it? They model... Yeah, they just copy. What they say, they just copy what we see. So if we think about it, you know, if we as women and mothers that are modelling to the next generation what it means to be a woman and a mother, you would hope that our organisations would become redundant at some point because those children would just naturally advocate for their needs. They would naturally spot discrimination, call it out because they've seen us doing that. You know, what I see lots of is lots of beautiful stories and books being read to children about this, but the parents are not actually enacting it. They're not doing it. So that's actually quite confusing to children to have one message and not seeing it being lived. So, yeah, I think that would change. I think schools would change. I think it would be an unbelievable place to live, wouldn't it? (laughs) Well, let's keep going. I believe we can do it (laughs) together with all the hundreds and thousands of other amazing people and teams and organisations in the world who are also working hard to make the world a better place for mothers and carers. So thank you so much for this conversation, Zoe. Oh, you're welcome. It's beautiful to connect. Is there anything else you want to share with folks before we say goodbye? Not really, other than, you know, a lot of what we've talked about, which is if you're finding it hard, it's not a failing for you. It's because it is really hard. And please remember that. Mm. Please don't take, you know, a failing of a broken system into your own heart because you need that boundary. You are not broken. There is nothing wrong with you. 
So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. <laughs>